Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Go ahead and smash that like, smash that subscribe, jump on in the chat. We love the live feedback. We love being able to hear from you as we record the show. Uh, If you would like to participate, you can always get at us on Twitter and you can always get in on the big old bag of mail. You leave us a five-star review. Uh, You put your review in that question. Uh, You put your question in that review and we'll tackle it in a future mailbag episode. One thing that's exciting about that is that it's not just in mailbag episodes that we are able to acknowledge or even use some of your questions or suggestions because sometimes they become their own segments. Today is one of those days. So here's what we've got on tap. We do have a little bit of camp buzz. We have some starting quarterbacks. We've got some quarterback battle news. We've got some incredibly significant injuries. Notre Dame, Texas, Clemson, Auburn, Ole Miss. We will hit on those in just a little bit. The AP Top 25 preseason poll is being released as we record right now, uh, we will get to that before, either before or after the break with some of our instant reaction and analysis. And uh, we've had a lot of BYU fans ask for BYU win totals. Uh, so we are going to make sure that we get all you Cougs as well as Notre Dame fans, Cincinnati, Arkansas, and maybe a few others that stand out to us. Speaking of win totals, uh, as we count down the days until the start of the season, there are 12 of them. We have been counting up how many wins you're going to win this how many games you're going to win this fall we will have our win totals lock show on wednesday so be on the lookout for that so let's start tom uh with some of that camp buzz and the headlines are incredibly buzzworthy you were on duty this weekend so naturally all of the stories decided that they were going to break at the same time but so let's start in south bend with avery davis uh, a wide receiver who has dealt with injuries in the past and who has always been circled as a key to creating a spark in the passing game, something beyond just being able to target the tight ends, a real threat on the outside. Uh, He is out for the season due to a torn ACL. So before we get to Tyler Buckner winning that QB1 job for the Fighting Irish, um, and remember, huge game in the season opener as they do play against Ohio State in Columbus in week one, 
what do you make of the Avery Davis injury and how does it sort of change the outlook? Obviously, save your win totals takes for later, but how does it sort of change your analysis and the way you look at this Irish offense? Take the Buckeyes. Okay, I mean, this, right now. <laughs> no, this it's it's a big injury. I mean, this is a Notre Dame team that we already had, you know, there, there were question marks about the receiver position going into the season on this offense. Like Michael Mayer, everybody knows who he is. He was the focal point of the passing attack last year. He is, you know, the guy who between the numbers and underneath was their primary target. And what Notre Dame lacked for the most part was receivers, you know, on the outside guys, you could put outside the numbers. Like they had Kevin Austin last year, but he was, you know, he's in the NFL now and he'd always kind of dealt with injuries while he was at school. And Davis was, you know, their primary slot guy. He was the, another underneath option, a guy that was able to, that defenses had to account for underneath that opened up space for mayor. He opens up space for, you know, receivers on the outside. And without him, not only do you have to replace his production because he was a very productive player for Notre Dame out of the slot, but now you've got, you know, now, somebody else has to step up, which weakens your depth chart a little further. You become a little more inexperienced. You've already got a quarterback who played in 10 games last season but was not the primary starter and does not have a ton of everyday experience going in there. So new head coach, new quarterback, some inexperienced receivers. It's, I think, early in the year. Like I, it's, it's a terrible time. There's never a good time to play Ohio State, but – Playing Ohio State with your first game of the year with all these question marks and now this injury heading into the season is not great for the Fighting Irish. Did you imagine that Buckner was going to end up winning that job based on the like I we looked at the three quarterbacks that played last year, Jack Cohn, Drew Pine, and Buckner, and Buckner was this you know um, you know the the prized recruit, the player who had the seemingly the higher ceiling, someone who was going to eventually be the Notre Dame quarterback. Yet through spring practice, that thing looked like very much a wide open competition. Do you do you sense that Buckner is? Uh, that Buckner winning this job and this announcement coming now is a, is an encouraging thing in terms of his ability to start to live up to some of those blue chip projections. I think that I mean it's it was the expected result. I know it was an actual competition between Buckner and Pine, but I do think if you just watch what happened last year, like you know Pine played in a few games early in the year when Cohn got hurt in that was in the game against Wisconsin. Pine came in got hurt. He played against Cincinnati the week after, and then he didn't play again for the rest of the season. Meanwhile, Buckner also played in those games and started seeing a lot of snaps over the final few months of the season, and he was becoming a part of the offense because, as we mentioned, for a team without a obvious presence at receiver, like an alpha dog receiver, with Jack Cohn, quarterback, who does not have much of a mobility kind of, you know, he wasn't, he's not exactly a runner, Buckner brought the kind of dynamism with his mobility that kind of helped them, you know, find other ways to move the ball on offense besides just throwing between Mayer between the numbers and handing off. So I think that was kind of one thing that gave Buckner an advantage in this competition because Pine is not as statuesque as Jack Cohn is. Sure. But he is he, he's not exactly what you would call a mobile QB. So I think Buckner kind of that the ability to run the ball as well as throw the ball, you know, just giving a dual threat, which yeah, I, I love how I said the ability to run the ball and throw the ball. Like, you know, <laughs> don't, don't they all have that ability? But I think Buckner just has a higher ceiling 
for what they want to do on offense and what they're going to be able to do. Because now, especially, you know, you lose Davis for the injury. Now Buckner's legs become even more important because he's probably going to have to rely on them a lot to extend some drives where it's not there in the passing game. So I think it's not a surprise. I do think that Buckner is a very good player. I do think the coaching staff in South Bend is high on him, and they do think that he's going to be able to have a good season. So it's not a shock to me, but it's just the same situation we just talked about with Davis. Starting your season against Notre, or against Ohio State in this spot is going to be tough for everybody. So if things go really poorly for the Irish in week one, try not to overreact to it. Just kind of understand the context of what's going on right now. And it's a tough schedule. We will get to it uh, a little bit later when it comes time for breaking down the Notre Dame win totals. Uh, turning our attention to Austin, Texas, where the news is not great. You know, if you're sitting there with uh, thoughts that Texas is going to be competing for a Big 12 championship, if you're thinking that Texas is going to, in year two with Steve Sarkeesian, be able to make a big jump and make it all the way to, um, uh, and make it all the way to the college football playoff, then, well, it is a big-time downgrade first on the injury front as we've got both junior wide receiver Isaiah Nayor, remember the big-time transfer from Wyoming, very talented. He was going to be lining up opposite Xavier Worthy, and a big reason why you were so excited about what this passing attack could be this season was the idea that you had two of the better wide receivers in the entire Big 12 lining up, causing all kinds of problems for defense. But now we've also lost one of our most experienced offensive linemen. Junior Angelau suffered a season-ending knee injury, also a knee injury for Nayor. A couple other, uh, Roshan Johnson, who you, you'll remember, a running back, also has taken an injury this weekend. And all of this coming, as we are looking at this Texas offense, if questions about whether or not Quinn Ewers, the highly coveted, uh, much-touted quarterback of Texas high school legend, whether he's even going to end up being QB1, as Hudson Card uh, has been, according to reports and according to some of the buzz, Bud Elliott passing along a lot of our uh, good intel from Austin, is pushing for the the job. He's, he's taking snaps with the ones. So as you're looking at this, at Texas, the injuries, first and foremost, are massively disappointing for Worthy, right? You thought yes. that he was going to be coming in and like all of a sudden be a household name. But now for the offense as a whole and for Texas's outlook, I, I was not all in on the Texas bandwagon uh, in terms of trying to push this thing like all gas, no brakes was finally going to take off this year. But kind of feels like a, it's, it's easy to overreact, but it feels like the beginning of one of those like, oh no, our pets' heads are falling off type preseasons for Texas. Yeah, the, the, the roof is caving in a lot quick. It's usually we wait till after Texas has won a game before the roof falls in on top of everybody, but it's, it's not great no matter how you want to look at it. If there is a silver lining as far as Texas is concerned, for Neymar it stinks no matter what because this is a kid who was good at Wyoming last year, was coming to play at a major program in Power 5 and maybe show that, hey, the stuff I did at Wyoming wasn't just me taking advantage of bad Mountain West defenses. I'm actually pretty good. So for him to be injured, it sucks. But for Texas, honestly, if there is an area where I feel like they can suffer some losses, it is at the receiver spot because, as you mentioned, they do still have Xavier Worthy, who is going to be one of the best receivers in the country. He already is. Uh, Jordan Willingham is still a solid option, and there are other talented options on that depth chart. So I'm confident somebody will be able to step up, and if not one person filling Mayor's role on their own, I do think that by committee, Texas has enough options at the skill positions on offense to where I'm not 
too worried about them being able to score points. I think the Angelo injury is a much bigger deal because he was going to be the starter at left guard, but he's also the most experienced offensive lineman that the Longhorns have. He's He started all 12 games last year, six at right guard, six at left guard. But with the guys who have moved on, he is the veteran leader of this group. And now behind him, you have, it looks like, I don't know for sure, but it looks like freshman Cole Hudson, who was a four-star recruit, is next in line to take over for him. And while Hudson is highly rated, he is a true freshman. He has not played a college game, let alone started a college game. So to go from your most experienced offensive lineman to a guy who hasn't played a snap yet at the Power 5 level, that could cause problems early in the season. And as you mentioned, it's either going to be Hudson Card at quarterback who got playing time last year, but is not you know, what you'd call a veteran at this point, or it's going to be Quinn Ewers who has not taken a snap. So all of a sudden, there's a there's a lot of inexperience at some key positions for this offense that could cause problems. And as we talked about in the win totals pod when we did the Big 12, like Texas's main problem last year was defense. The offense was the one thing that you were kind of relying on to be good. This throws a little bit of a wrench in that, in that the Texas offense could struggle more than we anticipated. And if that's the case and the defense doesn't really, you know, step up and take over for that, you know, people, there's a lot of high expectations for Texas going into 2022 because it is any college football season that has ever existed. But <laughs> now there are more questions about whether or not the Longhorns are going to be able to live up to them. Without a doubt. I mean, if, if you were looking at that price of to win the Big 12, you know, uh, pays out at something like two to one, three to one, something which like that. It's already ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, which is which we discussed on the Big 12 win totals pod, you know, to think that you were going to be the nine on there is taking into consideration a game against Alabama. And, you know, the fact that you're still one of the favorites says that the odds makers believe that a couple of losses in conference play is going to still be able to get you in one of those top two spots to win the Big 12. I'll say this. I think that Texas, with Hudson Card, could still be one of the top two to three teams in the Big 12, but you go from being able to take charge and jump to the front of the standings to needing everybody to beat up on each other and needing everybody to just sort of like play down to the pack, to have it just be one of those crazy seasons when at the, you know, you start November all the contenders have at least one loss, and then it's just going to end up on who has the tiebreakers. But if you are the Longhorns, the idea that this thing is uh, not... If you are a Longhorns fan, the idea that Quinn Ewers is not grabbing hold of this the way that we thought he would is a little bit uh, disappointing. And I will say it's disappointing just because I thought that Quinn Ewers was going to be such a fun story such a big star uh the play like the playmaking within this offense i thought could be electric and something that a lot of fans would enjoy getting behind he look he could still be the starter right i mean mm -hmm. we could we could see steve sarkeesian again in the opener against ulm you are probably going to see both of them maybe hudson card starts in week two against alabama but then quinn ewers comes in as a change of pace you've i think you've still got two quarterbacks that when you stack them up against the rest of the Big 12, you're still talking about top half of the conference. Is that fair? Texas's yes. quarter how about this? Texas's quarterback room in terms of depth and overall ceiling is probably the best in the Big 12. And if we're going to line up the quarterbacks, they're probably both in the top six or seven. Yes, for sure. And I, I mean, I have a couple questions for you. I want to know what you think about this. 
like we have seen today and last night, we've seen a couple quarterbacks enter the transfer portal because they've become aware that they will not be winning the starting jobs. First, do you think there's any chance that this Hudson Carr stuff is kind of floating around now because it's like we don't want him to enter the portal? And if something happens to yours, we want to still have him as our number two. And also, if if it's true and Card is you know really pushing for the starting gig, is your initial reaction that hey, that's great, Hudson Card must be playing really well, or is it huh, Quinn Ewers might be disappointing? I think that it might be a matter of so. First question, uh, yes, without a doubt, you have to take into consideration with all quarterback battles that part of the calculus for any coaching staff is going to be trying to maintain depth, knowing that you are potentially going to lose somebody to the transfer portal. I mean, Texas could have had another capable uh, quarterback on on this roster, but guess what? Casey Thompson's off somewhere else playing. Like this, this is they are very aware of how uh, thin things can get if the quarterbacks start to leave. So yes, it is a potential, but I also could see it being a situation where Card, who at his best has looked, you know, pretty capable, and again was a a blue chip four star guy, one of the top ten players in front, coming from the state of Texas. The idea that he would be, um, you know, answering the challenge, and the idea that he would be raising the bar and bringing the competition, I think that that should say, hey, that's great. Hudson Card is playing very well, and I also think that it could be a motivation tool for Quinn Ewers, where you want to make sure that somebody who maybe, I mean, like I, I'm going to uh, overstep my bounds here, but when you are the extremely highly touted quarterback recruit. And you go to you reclassify, and you go to Ohio State, and there's the whole like you know NIL deal as a freshman, and then you immediately turn around and you go to Texas, and I I could see there being a potential that if you believe this job is locked up, there might be just enough, just too much confidence in a way that might alert the coaching staff to be hey we got to light a fire under this guy. So mm-hmm. yes, I I do think that it's a potential that they are trying to keep Hudson card from transferring. I do think that there's a potential that card could be playing well, but that other piece is what I'm also looking at where they also just might be trying to massage this quarterback battle a little bit just to make sure that they get to where they want to be at the end, which is Quinn Ewers a hundred percent dialed in playing some of his best football when they needed in week two against Alabama. Every sport has their big juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's turn our attention to Clemson for some more camp buzz. Xavier Thomas report is going to be out for uh, an undetermined amount of time officially. Reportedly, we have seen uh, anywhere from four to six weeks. Again, uh, not, not 
uh, confirmed yet by Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, when asked about it, was you know, went right to talking about what a what a great spring, what a great off season, you know, how, how great Xavier Thomas had done in terms of getting himself ready. Now it is true that as we have discussed here, that Clemson has you know with Isaiah with Xavier Thomas, you know with KJ Henry, you know with Tyler Davis, like. All of these all-conference caliber former five-star players to go with the Brian Brzee and the Miles Murphy that that we're used to and that are you know really looking to have a major impact here in 2022. So yes, there is depth at that position. Um, did did you have any alarm though, uh, looking at Xavier Thomas uh, getting carted off the field and and the potential that the Tigers might not have him for the first part of the season? I mean, yeah, there's always concern because, you know, you never want to see anybody getting carted off because typically if you can't walk off on your own, that's not a great sign. But it also could have just been precautionary. But he's also just a very good player and as talented and as well as Clemson is recruited on the defensive line, you still don't want to be losing anybody because part of what makes Clemson so good is the depth that they have on the defensive line. The fact that they have a great player who they can then rotate in and keep fresh throughout the course of a game and throughout the course of the season to continue giving them the advantage. So if this injury is serious enough to keep Thomas out for any extended amount of time, it hurts Clemson, who is a team that defensively we're probably pretty sure is still going to be fine, but offensively already had plenty of questions coming off of last year, and they can't really afford a drop-off on the defensive side of the ball with all the questions they have on the offensive side. So it's definitely an alarming injury and one that I, you know, we should probably be tracking, yes. I'm, I'm going to say disappointing, just because Xavier Thomas has had a little bit of an up-and-down career, you know, flashed as a freshman. He was in Dabo's doghouse for a little bit. Then he got, uh, I believe he... He had some health issues. He's, he's had trouble like, you know, staying fully fit, staying fully active. And his uh, commitment and recommitment to this program over and over when he could have transferred out, when with his athletic ability, maybe he had been he could have looked to try and you know go to the NFL draft and just, you know, wow everyone with what he could be coming off the edge. He has continued to try to get himself better, to try to continue to help this Clemson program. So for him to miss some time, like I just it stinks for Xavier. That's that was like my my first part. It's like, man, well, this stinks. But and there's the other part of it. The biggest games on Clemson season for my money are in November. So if some of the reported um, timetable is correct, and he can be back from Notre Dame and South Bend, and he can be back for Miami when the Hurricanes come to Death Valley, and then obviously for the, the ACC championship and any sort of postseason beyond that then what you are getting back is you're getting back an, an all-conference caliber defensive end with a ton of experience and a lot of uh, ability. And as long as there's no further complications and if the reported timetable of about four to six weeks is to be is confirmed, is confirmed or does end up playing out, then at least you do have the depth that you're talking about where you can handle it from here on. Like the NC State game on October 1st is the toughest game early in the season but then the rest of the toughest challenges for my money, at least during November. So it's like, as long as they can be all good by the start of November, um, then I think Xavier Thomas can still play a role in trying to help the Clemson Tigers uh, win an ACC championship. Uh, Auburn. Do you think TJ Finley's about to beat out Zach Calzada? Apparently. I mean, it could be another don't enter the portal situation, but I do. Cause I, from what I had heard, like, 
I thought Zal Calzada was doing pretty well in camp and he was kind of taking the reins or at least taking, you know, getting a nose on the starting job, but maybe Finley has been playing well in recent weeks to take the starting job back. I just, I, I feel like I mentioned it in the Auburn in our SEC West win total pods. I feel like Zach Calzada is a very good quarterback for what Brian Harson's teams typically do on offense. So if Finley is playing well and kind of earning his spot in the job, I feel like that's probably good news. But I also, again, everything we're hearing about quarterbacks right now, but all these backups who, hey, you think they don't have a shot at the job, but actually they do. Coming around at the same time as a lot of guys are entering the portal, it's like you kind of have to just like question it a little bit. But I do, TJ Finley played a lot last year, so he obviously knows the offense. He's got experience in it. So to think that he's got – taking advantage of it and earning a starting job is not entirely out of line. And it's not like Zach Calzada is a world beater. So I can't doubt that it's possible. I'm just, I'm always a little skeptical about all these reports right now. Okay. So what about Jackson dark Jackson dart reportedly had a really good scrimmage and might be moving ahead of Luke Altmeyer. I tend to look at that one and think that that might not be transfer defense. Uh, Luke Altmeyer, I, I believe like is a, a program guy, somebody who's, yeah. I wouldn't imagine is going to be looking to see the door out. And then Jackson Dart having already transferred once, you know, is he, is he going to go and hit the reboot button again? I, I looked at the Jackson Dart. This is again, coming from Bud Elliott, 24 seven sports, always keep your eye on 24 seven sports for some of the best in terms of training camp Intel. I, I look at the Jackson Dart, not as being some, you know, uh, not as being meddling by trying to make sure that the word gets out or that Dart doesn't transfer. That is a good sign and that the Rebels quarterback with the highest ceiling might be finally putting it all together. We're coming out of spring practice. That wasn't necessarily the case or the belief. Yeah, I I, I don't think you have to worry about Altmaier transferring. And I also think, you know, Jackson Dart is a good quarterback. So if he got off to a slow start, transferring to a new school, learning a new offense and did not play well in the spring game, or at least did not play as well as Altmaier. And now he's picking things up a little bit and getting a bit better at it and performing better in the scrimmage. That's not going to shock me. But another thing we should also keep in mind too, like not just the transfer portal, but you know, it's the first week of the season. Sometimes coaches don't want their opponents to know who the starting quarterback is going to be, depending on whether or not those two quarterbacks maybe have different skill sets. So that way it forces opponents to prepare for two different possibilities. But I do think that, you know, I like Dart. I like Dart at USC. So if he's taking the starting job from Altmaier, I'm not, it's not going to surprise me at all. I do think he's a very talented player. But the funny thing is, Dart, Altmaier, I know Ole Miss has been a team that's been throwing the ball all over the field the last few years. Wouldn't it be surprised if no matter who the Rebels quarterback is this year, it's going to be Zach Evans, who's the star of the offense. Oh, well, if. Zach Evans, there's never been a doubt based on, like even in the small sample size of his college career, when he has been active and he has mm -hmm. been in the lineup, the explosion of the former five-star running back is uh, absurd. So here was my note here on the Ole Miss starting quarterback position. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter till October 1st. Because again, like some like with the, the Clemson situation, my first, I, we're in the middle of August. You got to start to think about what these timetables are, what the pressure is going to be. Pressure ain't high. When Troy comes to town, much love to uh, the the pride of uh, Mike Norvell, Central Arkansas. When uh, Central Arkansas comes to town, I, I, don't, I don't think the pressure is going to be that high. When they go into Bobby Dodd Stadium to clash with Georgia Tech, the pressure will be high on the other sideline on Jeff Collins, not as much for Ole Miss. And when Tulsa comes to town, I mean, don't lose it, but 
pressure not going to be all that high. Uh, this quarterback battle, like I, Jackson Dart wins it, that's cool. Luke Altmaier wins it, that's cool. There will be opportunities for both of these quarterbacks to get in. And like you mentioned, maybe it is Zach Evans that's the star. Uh, the first game that I would say, by the way, October 1st, their SEC opener against Kentucky at home. Huge game for both teams, especially when we start to think about you know what your win total is going to be. It will I, decide. It will decide whether Kentucky is a football school or a basketball school. So, <laughs> oh yeah, you had to write about that too. You had yeah. all the fun this weekend. Thanks, Cal. So what? What'd you make of that? Before we'll we'll hit the break, and then on the other side, we'll uh, we'll do the um, AP Top Twenty Five reveal and sort of instant reaction. So what? What? What that about? Just dumbassery. Like it's one of those things. Like Cal, I understand where he's coming from because you know. Let's be real. Kentucky is a basketball school. Like, you don't think of Kentucky football. You think of its basketball history. And he was just trying, you know, he's frustrated because he's trying to get money to build a new basketball facility. And he's kind of ticked off and he's just saying what he's got to say to get it done. But don't don't go dis, you know, disrespecting the football program, who frankly has been kind of better than your basketball program the last few years. Like, I don't remember Kentucky football losing to St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I also think like Mark Stoops, I think did a good job of covering that when he responded, said this wasn't a program born on third base, which is a way of saying, Cal, you inherited one of the best programs in the country. I took over a team that was two and 10 and I've got us winning 10 games a year and going to major bowl games. So I think it's dumb. I think Cal probably should have thought that through a little bit, but I also understand his frustration. But at the same time, that money that's probably going to come to help build your basketball facility, it's not the SEC basketball contracts that are going to be paying for it. They went 9-16 and 16 in 2021. They got bounced from the first round by St. Peter's in 2022. John Calipari is entering the 2023 season like – I'm not going to say hi. this the Iowa College Basketball Podcast with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander will have you covered on all these things, and they will be buzzing about this. There will be no way to go wrong talking about Kentucky uh, by the time you get to the college basketball season. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be poking the bear that is Mark Stoops, who's just sitting here cashing checks and rolling out eight to ten win seasons every single year. And let's be real, Cal might be feeling a little insecure because, like, if you think of the way that Kentucky fans who probably you know basketball football mark stoops is probably higher thought of right now at the moment for what he's doing for football than fans are with cal who has done a great job still producing nba players but like you said kentucky's trying to win national titles they're not just trying to send dudes to the nba and they're not trying to lose in the first round to st peter's coming up on the other side the ap top 25 preseason poll is out and there's a team that got a first-place vote in the coaches' poll that didn't even crack the top 25 of the AP poll. We'll get into our takeaways from that, plus uh, our win total breakdowns for Notre Dame, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and more next. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 
Peloton is not just about bikes and treadmills. It is about a community. It's about a team of instructors that's ready to motivate you. It's about others uh, in this community that can help motivate you. There are literally thousands of classes and so many people. You can get in strength training. You can get in yoga. You can do running, boxing. It's the perfect non-judgmental space to experiment with new types of movement at a level and a pace that feels good for you. If you're super busy, it doesn't matter if you have five minutes or if you have an hour. If you want to do it first thing in the morning at the crack of dawn, or if you like to get in that evening burn, there's always a Peloton class that fits into your day. Maybe you're trying to get some upper body strength. Maybe you want to get in a run. Peloton allows you to be able to choose when, how long, and what kind of workout is going to be able to perfectly fit what you are trying to get out of the experience, Tom? How have things been going, and what's been uh, what have been some of the classes and the instructors that you've enjoyed recently? Well, you know, I love being on my Peloton, and you mentioned the fact that they offer classes with different lengths to make sure that no matter how much time you have, there is a class for you. Well, we are going through the process in my household of preparing to move, which means we have been very busy packing things up and getting ready, which means I don't have as much time to get on the Peloton as I would like. But thankfully, I'm still able to get on because I can hop on a 20-minute metal ride with Kendall Tool and kill myself for 20 minutes doing 25 miles an hour the entire time. So my legs are very sore right now but the fact that i'm able to fit that in in 20 minutes get a nice five minute post ride stretch in afterwards and then be able to go on my day throwing stuff in boxes to prepare for the move which of course one of the things that i'm taking the most care of for the move is my peloton bike because it is crucial to me and i absolutely love being on it because if i didn't have it i wouldn't be able to fit into tight soccer shirts like this the hey. forza napoli sempre all right listen go <laughs> um there is the, he mentioned the metal ride. There is just so many different options for the kind of music that you want. And music is so inspiring when you're going through your workout. Uh, you might be in the mood to blast 90s hip hop. Well, guess what? There's a class for that. If you want to get through uh, after a bad day of work and just grind it out to some power ballads, well, there's a class for that. There's a Pride Month playlist that gets your blood pumping. Whatever you're into, Peloton has the music that will get you moving. It's motivation that moves you anytime, anywhere. And you can try the Peloton bike or tread just like Tom. You can do it risk-free for 30 days. To learn more, go to onepeloton.com. That is O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. Onepeloton.com. New members only. Terms apply. Once again, try the Peloton bike or tread risk-free for 30 days. Go to onepeloton.com. All right, let's uh, let's let's pull up the AP top twenty-five poll. No major surprises at the top, as it does match a lot of what we've seen from uh, other preseason rankings, including the coaches' poll. Alabama not just number one, but an overwhelming number one with fifty-four of the first-place votes. Ohio State coming in at number two with six first-place votes, and Georgia, the reigning national champions, uh, in third place. One, two, three, again falling in line with what we're used to. There are uh, there are no rogue first place votes like we had with the coaches poll. In fact, that Texas first place vote uh, was not only not there, but Texas did not even crack the top twenty five. You see, Clemson, Notre Dame, Texas A and M, Utah, Michigan, 
Oklahoma and Baylor round out the rest of the top 10. Uh, Oregon, Oklahoma State, NC State, USC, Michigan State and to get you through 15. Then Miami, Pitt, Wisconsin, Arkansas, Kentucky to the top 20. Ole Miss, Wake, Cincy, Houston, and BYU. Again, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU teams will be covering their win totals here in just a little bit. Tom, anything uh, anything stand out from this uh, this top 25 as you, as you look at it now? I am shocked that Texas isn't ranked. Like nobody loves overhyping the Longhorns more than the media. media. <laughs> and the AP voters did and it's not and you know what Texas isn't even 26th. They're 27th. Tennessee is 26th. They're closer to the top 25 than the Longhorns are. So I think that is probably the bigger surprise everything else nothing very, you know, Alabama number 1, duh, Ohio State, Clemson and then you've got Clemson, Notre Dame or Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, AM. I mean these it it looks a lot like the coaches poll in a lot of ways. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how closely this resembles the poll at the end of the year because I, I feel like I don't know if there's going to be that many ACC teams ranked in the top 22 as there are currently right now. I don't know if there's going to be as many Big 10 teams ranked as highly as they are right now. It's it's a good poll. I think it's a sensible poll for where we are. But yeah, the biggest shock is definitely Texas, not even ranked yet. Miami still 16th. So well, yeah, it was it was USC, Miami and Texas. That was what like, Tom, you did a great job of highlighting it. And and I have, uh, you know, I've, I've given you a shout out because it's always good to promote the podcast. But I've used that around on radio hits and in discussions with people. It's like, yeah, I mean, once you get past the top 12, mm-hmm. you just look around and you're like, OK, it, is it now OK? For me to put the teams that are back it is now appropriate. Like there's a very sensible top twelve, and if you were to put a USC or a Texas or a Miami up above that twelve, you'd need to explain yourself. You would need to say, okay, why? What about these teams or this team makes you believe that they're going to be able to uh, start the season in a different place? But uh, Texas did not even get it into that uh, that nice little cushion. Uh, as like you mentioned, we've got USC at 14. That is one spot ahead of where they are in the coaches poll at 15. You've got Miami at 16. That is one spot ahead of where they are in the coaches poll at 17. Texas in the coaches poll at 18, 27th uh, in the AP poll. And look, I, I think that the ballots were due before we even had the injury news from mm-hmm. over the weekend, but maybe I, I've got to think that this is a this is probably the most interesting AP versus coaches to start the season. Something that we do uh, here on the Cover Three podcast on Mondays. If you're not familiar, we take a look at both the AP and the coaches poll on Sunday. Find the teams where there is the most disagreement. Take a look at them. Put them under the microscope. Try and figure out why. There is disagreement, and then also, you know, weigh in as judge and jury in terms of which of the two rankings might be a little bit closer uh, to reality in terms of how these teams stack up against each other. Yeah, Tennessee was just on the outside looking in of the coaches poll, just on the outside looking in in the AP poll as well. The coaches were a little bit higher on Iowa uh, than in the AP poll. It doesn't look like Iowa got. Anything. They're right behind Texas at 28. Oh, there they are. Okay. So um, same kind of position there. My my oversight, good call right there. 
and there is like a huge like if you look at the others receiving votes you can always like glean some information like tennessee had 180 points texas 164 iowa 163 penn state 160 and then there is a 105 point gap between penn state at 26 at 29 and lsu at 30 which got 55 points so i feel like there's a whole lot of people who just kind of were like th- these are the teams that were at the 24s and the 25s on different ballots and shout out to nebraska who was number 25 on at least one ballot yeah i mean even lsu fresno minnesota ucf then it drops down again so your mm-hmm. Purdue, mississippi state auburn kansas state florida like those are the teams that were like 24 sure here we go just sort of to throw it in there um again we'll be doing ap versus coaches again as a segment on monday is a good way for us to Take a look at the teams that are not, uh, there's not a lot of agreement on. Uh, have a lot of fun with that. Uh, all right. We need to, we've gone through all of the Power Five conferences. And if you don't hear your favorite group of five school here in the next uh, couple of minutes as we're breaking down, they the stink other, and we don't like them. Then pay attention to uh, the win totals locks. It could be coming there as Tom, myself, uh, Danny and Bud will be sharing our full card of win totals locks that again scheduled to come up on Wednesday, uh, but we're still going to give them the counter them up treatment. So we turn it over to the general manager of Vanderbilt football. As much as I think it's the, the under count is a safe up. play, like I can't even count them up. Count them up. How many kids are going to win this fall? I can't fathom it. Wins. How many kids are going to win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish have an over-under win total at the Caesars Sportsbook of nine wins. That's minus 125 to the over, minus 105 to the under. Uh, they've got a road schedule that includes, as we have mentioned, starting in Columbus against Ohio State. They also, in late September, will be going to North Carolina, road trips also to Syracuse, to Navy, and then at USC at the end of the season in the Coliseum. Uh, Home schedule, we've got Marshall come to South Bend, Cal, Stanford, UNLV, a huge game against Clemson. Boston College, also late in the year, will be coming to South Bend. The neutral site game is going to be against BYU. That is the Shamrock Series game that will be in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. I and Obviously, we've got Tyler Buckner as our QB1. That is answered. Uh, we've got no Avery Davis. We've got one of the best tight ends in the country. We've got a defense led by Isaiah Foskey that should be very good, especially under the guidance of Marcus Freeman. We've got Notre Dame, a team that has, in these both of these rankings that – We've just talked about the AP and the coaches poll preseason number five in the country. What are we doing with the win total of nine? I, the injury to Avery Davis clearly affected this just before we got to the show, but I, I think push is probably the right answer. And I think, you know, you look at their schedule, they play three road games, like true road games, the first game of the season and the last game of the season in the 10 games in or the four road games. I'm sorry. In the in between, they only have two true road tests at North Carolina on September 24th and at Syracuse on October 29th. Everything else is either at home or at a neutral site, which I think you have to give Notre Dame an advantage for. Like getting Clemson at home is big, better than being at Clemson. But I still think nine and three is far more likely. And if I'm forced to take a side, I'm leaning under before I lean over. Under. Yeah, I 
I think that going 10 and two against this schedule means it's that hard. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it, it means a lot has gone right. It means we have not had any hiccups. It means we have not had any setbacks. It means that you've maintained good health at the quarterback position. It means that you've maintained good health elsewhere. It means that an offense that what has not like an offense that has been effective, but not overwhelming. Is that fair? You know, mm-hmm. it's effective, but not overwhelming has found an expo- a level of explosiveness or a way to really stress opponents because relying on a very good defense, um, relying on um, an offense that is going to be, again, effective but maybe not explosive is, is going to be good enough for you to be able to beat I, most of the opponents on your schedule. But to go 10-2 and two when, like you mentioned, we got Ohio State, North Carolina, USC and BYU, four games all the way from home that are going to be very difficult. Clemson coming to town, a game that is going to be extremely difficult. I like right now, are the Tigers favored in that game? We got all season to be able to like have the power ratings adjust to, you know, whether Clemson's gotten its offense going and what Notre Dame looks like. But I I wonder if the Tigers are a short favorite in that game on like as as it stands right now. I, I don't do any like the look ahead line type stuff, but I would say that, yeah, probably if you're looking at things as they stand, Clemson is a one or two point favorite on the road against Notre Dame. But like, yeah, it's you're losing game one because there's just like I'm not saying it's impossible, but a Notre Dame team with a first year head coach, a first year starting quarterback depth concerns at receiver is not going into Columbus and beating an Ohio state team with as many guys as they have coming back on offense. You know what I mean? Like even if Ohio state's defense is still kind of shaky, you're just not going to be able to score with them at North Carolina is going to be tough. BYU in Vegas. That's going to be tough. Clemson at home is going to be tough. USC at the end of the year might be a lot better than the USC we see early in the year. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an under. How many games are going to win this fall? The BYU Cougars have an over-under win total at the Caesars Sportsbook of eight wins, minus 135 to the over, plus 105 to the under. The road slate includes uh, USF at the beginning of the season, Oregon, Liberty, Boise State, and Stanford. The home slate includes Baylor coming to Provo, Wyoming, Utah State, a homecoming game against Arkansas. Whew. Uh, ECU, then Utah Tech right before the end of the season. Uh, neutral site game again against Notre Dame on October 8th in Las Vegas. We've got Jaron Hall back. We've got to replace Tyler Allegier, but we've got a really good offensive line still. And I kind of think that that's, that is what, at the core of what Kalani Sataki wants to do and what he likes to get out of his offenses, which have maintained a very impressive clip. Uh, even after the departure of Jeff Grimes, who went to that Baylor job, so uh, eight wins. What uh, what do we think here for the Cougs? I think we know by mid October. Uh, you look like the the schedule is very much front loaded with those games. Like I, I'm leaning over. Like I've got them at about eight point six wins, which is pretty well over you know the eight there. I, I just look at the schedule. I think USF on the road, that's going to be a win. I don't have high expectations for South Florida. I think Baylor in Provo is a very winnable game for the Cougars. I think that's kind of a coin flip. I think Oregon on the road is tough. I think Wyoming is going to be a win because we've, you know, Wyoming lost 
just damn near everybody that was important to that team to the transfer portal. Then the week after they play Wyoming, they're playing the Utah State team where most of those Wyoming players transferred. And I think that's a tough game, but getting it in Provo, I think, is important for the Cougars. So I'm looking at a team right now that could be four and one after five games. Probably three and two, but four and one, very much in the range of possibilities. Notre Dame in Vegas, we just talked about it. I think that game, I think Notre Dame's going to be favored, and they should be, but I don't think they're a heavy favorite in that one. I think BYU's got a pretty decent chance there. Arkansas is a team we talked about when we did the SEC West, where I think is going to still be good, but I just don't think I, – I, I wonder about how – they're going to replace guys like Traylon Burks. And I think defensively, they're a little too bend, but don't break. And last year they were really good at not breaking. And can they maintain that? So I think Arkansas coming to Provo, that's closer to a coin flip than anything. And then you get that last half of the schedule at Liberty. I really don't know what to expect of the flames now that um, Malik's gone. And what, like, I, I still think the offense is going to be fine, but can it be as good as it was ECU and Provo? That's BYU at Boise state on the road. That's going to be tough. Utah tech, whatever and then at stanford to finish so the only there's no real game where i look at on here that i say is a definite loss like byu could win any of these games and there's some of them that it's capable oh yeah i I was gonna say you could go 10 and 2 yeah that's what i'm saying it's like oregon i feel like oregon on the road is the toughest test that they have and even that is not out of question for byu arkansas in provo baylor in provo you the tough like you mentioned the Oregon game, uh, especially near the start of the season, but some of the toughest games on this schedule are either home or neutral, and that is a, a great recipe for BYU to be able to put this thing together. I feel like you get a push uh, potentially, but 9-3 and three is a, a very realistic possibility. I feel like it is more realistic than 7-5. and five. You know, if Stanford does get it together, if Boise State has a, a really good season, then you you might end up sweating this down the stretch of the year. But like I mentioned, I don't think that we're hinging the success of the offense or even the success of this team on any one single player. So even some of those potential coin flippy type games later in the year, I don't need to have uh, – I mean, you can't have massive injury issues, but you've got to at least uh, – you, you can even have a couple nicks or knocks along the way. Shout out soccer. Um, and still be able to uh, so, still be able to be in a winning position on that game. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I I'm going over on this, and I I would not be surprised if we look up at the end of the year, and BYU is going to go into the Stanford game, go into some of those late season, some of those November games with a chance to put themselves in a position to have a double digit win season, which would be absolutely huge for BYU, especially as that program prepares to make its transition to the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Count them up. Speaking of making that transition to the Big 12, that's what's happening for our next two programs. The Cincinnati Bearcats, fresh off a college football playoff appearance. They've got an over-under win total of nine and a half wins, minus 115 to the over, minus 115 to the under. They also play Arkansas, uh, but they have to go on the road. They start at Arkansas. They also have Miami of Ohio on the road, Tulsa on the road in conference play, SMU on the road, UCF on the road, Temple on the road, at home, you get Kennesaw State, Indiana, USF, ECU, and Tulane. We no longer have Desmond Ritter. We no longer have Sauce Gardner. We no longer have Kobe Bryant. You do still have a pretty good portion of the offensive line, and the defense has been built up with a lot of depth under, under Luke Fickle over the last couple of recruiting cycles. What are you doing with nine and a half for Cincinnati? I'm going under. 
Yeah. And, and I feel pretty decent about it. Like you, you mentioned, like Desmond Ritter's gone, Sauce Gardner's gone, Kobe Bryant's gone. This is a team that had nine players selected in the NFL draft during the spring, which kind of helps explain how Cincinnati went undefeated and reached the college football playoff from the group of five level. Like it's a very talented team. And last year was sort of the culmination of veteran experience and talent leading them and a schedule that they were able to, you know, get resume wins from. But as well as Luke Fickle has recruited and developed at Cincinnati, I think it's just common sense to think that the Bearcats are not yet a program that could lose all of that and then just come back and replace it and keep playing at the same level. And going 10-2 and two is very difficult to do. Uh, I think Arkansas, they're probably going to start the year with a loss on the road at Arkansas. So now, you you know, can you only lose one game for the rest of the season? Because that's what you would have to do to get to the over. And I look at some of these road games. SMU, I think, is a team that's going to be pretty good in the American. Cincinnati gets them on the road. The very next week, they're going on the road again to face a UCF team that is in the second year of Gus Malzahn, which I think is going to take a step forward. I just there's too many potential pitfalls on this schedule for me to think that Cincinnati's getting through without probably losing three games more often than it loses two. But I also think this is still a team that could easily not easily, but that could end up finishing as the top G5 team in the country in the college football playoff rankings and get that New Year's six berth. It's there, there's still plenty of talent there. It's just I think realistically, you should lower your expectations for the Bearcats a little more this year. Cincinnati can still win the American Athletic Conference. I agree with you there. I don't know. And we'll get to Houston in a little bit, but if they can't beat Arkansas, I don't know if the Indiana win has the cachet that it did no. last year um, based on what Indiana did last year. You know, if, if Cincinnati's going to really flirt with being the highest ranked group of five team, then you know, with, we'll talk about Houston in a little bit. App State's going to have a shot against North Carolina. Like there's, there are other conference championship contenders at the group of five level that are going to get opportunities against Pac-12, against ACC, against Big Ten teams, and they're they're going to need to they're going to need to take care of business, I think, against Arkansas because I don't know if the Indiana win is going to do it. I do think that if you're looking at the home schedule, all those games are probably wins: Kennesaw State, Indiana, USF, ECU, and Tulane. But you mention it. Arkansas, SMU, and UCF, those are three of the tougher games that you've got on your schedule. They are all going to be on the road. And to be able to get to 10 and 2, then you need to be able to, to get one of those and also not slip up against Tulsa and also not allow one of the more dangerous teams on your home schedule, Indiana, ECU, or Tulane, to jump up and get you. With all the turnover that you have, which includes offensive coordinator as well, as Mike Denbrock, you know. I know Bud's had his criticisms of you know the the Mike Denbrock hired LSU and uh, by the way a uh, little bit of breaking news as we record here uh, LSU quarterback Miles Brennan has uh, has reportedly walked away from the team he was informed he will not be the starter let's see this from Christian. Christian Garrick, uh, breaking LSU quarterback Miles Brennan is walking away from football. A source told me Brennan was informed he will not be the starting quarterback this fall. So, Jane Daniels, Grant Nussmeyer, that's that's kind of what that quarterback job looks like. Anyway, Mike Denbrock, <laughs> the former Cincinnati offensive coordinator, is in charge of that along with Brian Kelly. I think that for Cincinnati to be able to go 10-2, and two, it's asking a lot. I'm, I lean under here for sure. Mm-hmm. How many games are going to win this fall? 
The Houston Cougars have an over-under win total at the Caesar Sportsbook of nine wins, minus 125 to the over, minus 105 to the under. Uh, they have a little bit of a tricky opener on the road. UTSA, you know, it's an in-state opponent, but still Jeff Trailer's going to try to cause some havoc in the non-conference. We know that. They also have got Texas Tech in the non-con, Memphis, and that is on the road, Memphis on the road, Navy on the road, SMU on the road, ECU on the road. Home slate is Kansas, Rice, Tulane, USF, Temple, and Tulsa. It's another team where I see probably, like Cincinnati, going undefeated at home. It's a, it's a team that will probably, again, play Cincinnati for the American Athletic Conference Championship, and they, again, are not playing each other in the regular season, which is going to help both of their conference records. But what do you think as we go from nine and a half wins to nine wins being the bar, what are you going to do with Dana Holgerson and the Cougs? I'm over. This is a huge year for Dana because if you think, think back to a few years ago, remember when they pretty much tanked? Yeah. And Dana had like a lot of his younger players his first year there, just kind of red shirt that first year. It caused Derek King to, you know, leave and go to Miami. Like this is what they were doing that for, like to get to this season with a chance to, you know, win the AAC, get the group of five spot, maybe even compete for a playoff spot if things go well enough. So this is a very experienced and talented team coming back together who I think has a chance to do a very good job. Like you mentioned the home schedule, Kansas, Rice, Tulane, USF, Temple, Tulsa they're not losing yeah. those games so like at utsa i think that's gonna be like you said that's a tricky opener but i still think houston is the better team there so i think that the cougars win that game at texas tech coin flippy and you go through the rest of the schedule at memphis okay but i still think houston's better than memphis at navy tough but i think they're better than navy at smu i think is going to be probably their most difficult road game outside of texas tech and then at ecu so i i look at this team I think they're going 10 and 2. I think that at the end of the year, this will be, was it the Peach Bowl this year that gets the group of five team? I can't remember the rotation. I but, think Peach Bowl is a semifinal. Oh, okay. So whoever, I think then it's the Fiesta. I think Houston is going to end up in the Fiesta Bowl at the end of the season. I think it's going to be the top ranked group of five team. And I think that Dana Holgerson will be redeemed for his plan of attack a few years ago. Clayton Toon is not uh, a quarterback who's going to be at the top of draft boards. He's not going to be competing for a Heisman Trophy or first-team All-American spots, but damn, he is serviceable. And mm -hmm. the strength of this team, which is unique for a Dana Holgerson team, is actually the defense. Uh, defensive coordinator Doug Belk has kind of been tabbed as a, a rising star in the industry. They call their defensive line Sack Avenue, and I think they bring back like 34 sacks from last season. Yep. I mean, they are absolutely loaded on the defensive line. They go downhill. They go fast. They get after you, and that defense has been able to be a real core of what Houston wants to do because it is Houston and because it is, you know, a Dana Holgerson coach team. It's not like they lack explosiveness, the athleticism that they have at the skill positions. And again, Clayton Toon's ability to disperse the ball to all these different skill players makes that Cougars offense dangerous for sure. But again, I think that it is well-built, it is experienced and it is a unit and a schedule. It is a team and a schedule. You say 10 and two, like they didn't lose a regular season game in conference play last year. They went 12-2 and two overall. I, I think we could definitely see a special season for Houston. Uh, I also am on the over. 
Okay, you said that you had uh, gotten. I know that there's a, there's some Boise State comments out there. I'm sorry, I don't have a over under win total pick for you on the Broncos. Uh, do you have any uh, other Group of Five win totals that you want to make sure you point out that seem notable to you? Uh, yeah, one I've kind of been teasing a little bit here. Uh, I'm really high in SMU this year. The win total is at six and a half. I think this is a seven win team that could get to eight if things break right. I know Sonny Dykes has gone and taken the TCU job. Rhett Lashley's come in and taken over, but I do think that the the offense that Lashley runs is not a huge adjustment from what SMU was already doing. And I think there's enough pieces in place that the Cougar or the, the Cougars, the Mustangs are still going to be pretty solid. So I really like that one. And then a couple outside of the American Western Kentucky, the win totals at eight. I'm going under. They, they, you know, they lose too much. Zach Kitley was one of the big reasons behind that offense being able to do what it did last year. He is gone. Bailey Zappi is gone. I don't think the Hilltoppers are going to fall off a cliff, but I do think asking them to go nine and three probably a little too much. So I really like the under there. And then finally, UMass win total at two and a half. I'll take the under because. Oh, sad. <laughs> UMass is not a very good football team. Don Brown coming in to kind of restore what, you know, he was the best coach that UMass has had really in the last however many years it's been since they become, you know, an FBS program. But, you know, he was at Michigan. His defense was kind of kind of not all that different from what Kerry Combs was dealing with at Ohio State, where it was like, all right, you were really good at this once, but you're kind of falling behind a little bit. And he went to Arizona last year and the defense was okay, but it's not great. And I just don't know what Don Brown is going to be able to do. Maybe in a few years, UMass is a lot more respectable and putting up a fight, but I don't see it happening in the first season. So I think it's going to be another long year for the Minutemen. So give me that under two and a half. Um, I just I don't have a good Boise State one, but I saw App State also mentioned in there. I know that number is somewhere around eight and a half. Seem that one seems like a good number. Don't forget, App State has a go to College Station. We just talked about that. So. Texas A&M, the North Carolina game at home, which again, I think is a winnable game for the Mountaineers. But then uh, later, you're going to have to go uh, to Coastal Carolina. You're going to have to go to Marshall. Are you going to be able to get through that and you know not pick up an additional two losses or so? So with the Texas A&M trip and a couple of tough uh, road trips in conference play, you can get to nine and three, but that probably requires beating North Carolina and avoiding any other slip-ups. So I don't, I don't have a strong play there, but... Uh, I would probably lean over before I go under just because while Marshall has uh, you know, taken some big steps against Charles Huff, man, life in the Sun Belt, baby, it's different than the Cayusa. So there might be a little bit of an adjustment at period for the Thundering Herd. So yeah, I'll, I would lean over, but no strong play for me on App State. If you want the strong plays, if you want the stone cold locks, well then make sure that you have all of your alerts, you're subscribed, everything, all the notifications turned on because Wednesday we will be gathering to do our win total locks. That will be the official start of the 2022 college football season. Then all of a sudden we come back the next week and it's a game week. We will be doing week zero storylines, week zero locks. You know we've got you covered. And even our first Saturday reaction show will be on that August 27th. It's a very, very exciting time. Thanks for you to ride along with us. One last piece of housekeeping before we get out of here. Starting on August 22nd, Monday, one week from today, we will be having a standardized showtime, trying to make it easy for all the audience that likes to watch us live, likes to participate live, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Again, you know that reaction show on Saturdays moves around a little bit based on the schedule. But starting on August 22nd, 
Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern time will be your time to get locked down with Cover 3. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, and sorry about my internet.